Let me invite you now to grab your Bible copies or copies of the God's Word and, and find the book of Isaiah. Um, I'm going to read you just two verses, um, famous verses, chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Um, it's never really good to rip verses out of their context and read them like this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I'll tell you a little bit about the context in a moment. So you follow as I read Isaiah chapter 9 at verse 6. They read like this. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, that word, that endures forever. You know, guys, there's something about Christmas that makes me want to be more of a, of a poet than a, than a preacher. <laughs> um, it makes me want to be a singer instead of a a speaker. Maybe it's the text. Maybe it's the text that does that to me because it is so poetic. It is, um, it's more of a poem in my mind than it is a, a scripture text. But, um, it, it's, a, it's a poem almost that has not yet been set to music. Really, it already has been set to music. Handel did it in his epic work on the Messiah. Um, but, you know, um, even the non-Christian world is, is moved by the transcendent beauty of our music, but particularly our Christmas music. Um, and this is one of, those, one of those pieces, one of those examples where, where the beauty of the gospel just kind of bursts forth, it seems to me. I, I can tell you this. Um, in this, Isaiah is one of the, what's called a major prophet. Um, this section of Isaiah, if you look around it, you'll find that it's, that he's speaking, it's in the midst of denouncements, pronouncements of judgment against nations around Israel. Uh, there's Samaria and there's Assyria and a couple of chapters later, there's Babylon. It's a section <coughs> where, where Isaiah is pronouncing divine judgment on the nations and, uh, around Israel. And in the midst of making all these statements of judgment. It's as if he, he looks off into the, dis, into the distance and, he, and he, sees, he sees a bright spot. He sees this ray of hope that kind of bursts through all this, this judgment business. And um, he's, he's interrupted. He's arrested in, in all of these these strong denouncements of judgment on these nations and he stopped and he and it's like he pauses and he says 
For unto us a child is born, and unto us a a son is given. He didn't know much about that child at that point. But this much he did know. He knew that if Israel was to have any hope at all, if she, if Israel was to escape all of this judgment that he's pronouncing, that her deliverance was going to come through a person. A person that he describes as a child. This section of scripture, these little two verses, is clearly a reference to Jesus Christ. Nobody, nobody denies that. Nobody, nobody disagrees with that. Um, Isaiah, not knowing much about Jesus Christ yet, but as he looks off into the future and sees this ray of hope, he describes him via names. Uh, he gives us four names. Some people say five names. Um, the reason that I've, I say four is because the three of the names are combinations of words. You know, uh, mighty God, prince of peace. Some people will put a comma after the wonderful and make it a name itself. But it seems like they're all combinations of words. And so what I'm saying is there's four names. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father. Um, this Christmas, I, I don't think we're going to have time, but to look at two of those names, maybe, maybe God willing, uh, next year we'll come back and look at the other two. But what he's doing is that he's describing Israel's only hope. And that hope has something to do with a person, with a person that he describes as a child. Um, the first thing he says about, the first name that he gives to this child is wonderful counselor. You know, in a world that is full of, um, wacky counsel and wacky counselors, including me, there is one whose counsel is wonderful. Um, that's not a, that's not a statement of flattery on, on Isaiah's part. Jesus is never given a name that he doesn't deserve. But this one, all that he does, all that he says, all that he is, is wonderful. He's not just a counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a counselor that evokes wonder. Everyone who, who has ever known him has been, has been struck, has been, has been filled with wonder. He is universally a wonder. You know, the older you get, it, the more it takes to... Um, to evoke wonder from us. When we were toddlers, somebody told us there was a reindeer with a red nose and our, our little eyes sparkled. But, but, but that's, um, that doesn't happen anymore. We've, we've grown cynical with age. And, and into our cynicism comes a counselor. A counselor who speaks. And it is Wonderful. Has he not been wonderful to us? Has he not been wonderful to you? Just in case you've forgotten, the only one 
who could deliver us from our from from the from the law is this wonderful counselor the only one who could provide a remedy for our sin is this wonderful counselor the only one who could speak enough truth so that you and I could make a little bit out of us a little bit of sense out of a very complex life is this wonderful counselor ladies and gentlemen when time is no more he will still be wonderful and I guess the question that, that, that I need to pose to you is, is he wonderful to you? You know, <clears throat> it's not just that he's wonderful. He's a wonderful counselor. Um, he provides counsel. You know, though, any man, woman, child sitting here today who doesn't think they need counsel is because they've got way too high a view of themselves. Um, the, the man without a counselor is a pitiful man. This counsel is counsel that is, that is necessary. Solomon seemed to know that. Solomon was given a chance to, to ask for anything that he, that he wanted. And what did he ask for? He asked for counsel. He asked for wisdom. Um, <clears throat> it, the, the statement about Jesus implies that you and I need counsel. Jesus said that we did. He invited us. You may remember in Matthew 11, he said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. Learn from me for heaven's sakes. Because this one, this one is the, uh, the wonderful counselor. And anyone who has a, a smidgen of honesty with himself knows that he, that he needs this wonderful counselor. He will race to this wonderful counselor. The next name that Isaiah gives him is the one that I really want to fix your attention on. Is the name of Mighty God. It, this is a child he's describing, and he's describing a child as the mighty God. Just a, just a little bit of Hebrew lesson here. You know in the Old Testament, God revealed himself by names. You know, he used names to tell us about himself. Each name told us something else about a feature of, that was true about him. <clears throat> the, <clears throat> the names that we seem to know are Yahweh, we know Elohim, we know El Shaddai, Amy Grant sang about El Shaddai 50 years ago. But Elohim is a name that tells us of his triunity. It's a plural word. Uh, for instance, in, in Genesis 1, you'll find Elohim. It's a plurality. It's a trinity of, of persons in this Godhead. <laughs> the name Yahweh is, of course, the name I am which tells us of his self-existence, his independence. But the name that is here, the name that is found here is the simple word El, E-L. Elohim, well, the El, the Hohim is left off and it's just El. And it has to do, that name is the name that signifies his power. So what I'm saying all this for is to, is to, is to point out that Isaiah has basically committed a redundancy he said, this child will be mighty might. 
He will be mighty powerful. He will be powerful, powerful. Um, the, the emphasis is upon the power that this, that this child is going to have. He is the mighty God. Now, guys, an error with respect to the deity of Jesus Christ is fatal. Do you understand that? If Jesus Christ is not this, then you and I are guilty of one of the most egregious sins of them all. Because we would be guilty of idolatry. That is, if Jesus Christ be not God. It doesn't matter what you worship. If you're not worshiping God, you can worship something made of mud or something made of gold. You can worship an onion. You can worship a snake. You can worship the sun. It doesn't matter. If you're not worshiping God, you're an idolater. So if Jesus Christ be not God, if he's not this, then you and I I are worshiping an idol. Um, It doesn't matter. If Jesus is not God, you might as well worship a snake. If Christ is not God, then you are guilty of worshiping an idol. Guys, what would you think of a religion that encouraged people to murder and rape? What would you think of that religion? I mean, would you think highly of that? Of course not. But ladies and gentlemen, if Jesus Christ be not God, then this religion called Christianity is encouraging you to be guilty of idolatry because they are promoting an object of worship which is not God. And they're telling you, Christianity is inviting you to worship a fellow creature. You know, guys, if, if, if I'm going to worship a mere man, I would, much wor- I would much prefer worshiping Muhammad because Muhammad allows me to, to kill all those people who don't convert. And he promises me 72 virgins if I die in jihad. Guys, Muhammad promotes deceit and, uh, and lust and, um, and murder. I mean, his war cry is far clearer than the, than the one that you hear from Jesus Christ. And yet, watch him. Watch Jesus, that is. And watch him as to how he deals with, for instance, the woman who's caught in adultery. Remember that, John 8? Watch him deal with her. Or, or watch him deal with um, Peter. You remember that little stroll they took around the Sea of Galilee after Peter had denied him three times? Watch him deal with Peter. And you take a step back and you say, that one. That one is God. Because he deals with sinners in a way 
that I've never seen before. Oh, lust and deceit and, and, um, and I understand those things. Oh, sure. I understand what, what it means to lie. I understand all that. But what I don't understand is how you can deal with a woman like that. How you could deal with Peter like that. Ladies and gentlemen, if Jesus Christ is not this, if he is only mere man, his death on a cross was deserved. And it's not some, some kind of satisfaction for sin, which is what I preach. No, 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 no. If Jesus Christ be not God, then the Jews crucified him for blasphemy and they did so correctly. That is, if he's not God. Guys, it is the fact that he is God that makes his death an unrighteous act of deicide performed by some wicked men. It is the fact that he is God that makes his death an acceptable sacrifice for sins for his people. But let me repeat this. If Christ is not God, then there is no need for this New Testament business. Because the central message of the New Testament is false if Jesus Christ is not God. All of this business about how his death is a satisfaction for the law and acceptable to God, it's all false. If Jesus Christ is not who Isaiah said he is, and that death of his on a cross at Calvary, it was, it was deserved. It's even, it's even applaudable. Way to go. Because you, you, you killed a deceiver. If Jesus Christ is not God, ladies and gentlemen, that death was the correct response by his Jewish audience. Guys, why are we celebrating Christmas? Why are we celebrating his birth? Is, is, is all of this to be explained by some kind of cultural hand-me-down? Guys, in all of human history, all over the world, all of it is divided into basically two halves, B.C. and A.D., Do you know what the BC stands for? It stands for before Christ. So that means that this man's entrance produced the dividing line in all recorded human history. And the world looks at that with a contemptuous, smug nod and says, oh, it's just an accident of culture. Really? By the way, did you know that that Islam has a calendar? They have their own calendar. Did you know that? And it starts with the birth of Muhammad. But you know what? It it never caught on. Hmm. Guys, are you going to sit still as somebody calls you a fool? Are you going to take it when somebody says you're just misguided, that you have been misled, and that you're trapped and deluded? Because that is what has happened to you. 
if Jesus Christ be not God, you've been snookered. If Jesus Christ is not God, you and I are, are so deluded and, and not just, not just us, but millions in centuries before us and, and, and even millions today, we all speak of his eternality and his immutability and his, and his omnipresence and omniscience. Stop it. It's all utter foolishness. If Jesus Christ be not who Isaiah said he is. And to think that some of us even pray to him. How awful of you. If Jesus Christ is not God. Incredibly, some of you poor benighted fools even call him your savior. My friend, can you not see how unthinkable it is for any of us to entrust our souls to a man? Why, some of you wouldn't trust me with your car, and I don't blame you. Ladies and gentlemen, if Jesus Christ is not this, then you need to pity us. You need to institutionalize us. Don't humor us by singing, joy to the world, the Savior reigns. No, 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 no. Drug us. Straightjacket us. Because that's what we deserve. That's what we need. If Jesus Christ be not God. But you listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. It's either one or the other. Either I'm trusting in a man or I'm trusting in the mighty God. And and for those of you who have not yet decided what you think about all this, let me make it simple for you. Because you only have two options. He is either man or he's God. Your move. Well, okay, Dr. Young, uh, okay, I, 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 I understand what you're saying. Um, but I, I tell you, could you, <clears throat> I mean, do you, do you offer any proof of what you say? I mean, is there any proof? Of, well, we have done that on numerous occasions in the past, and we will do it again for numerous occasions in the future. I would say to you that I think one, one of the pieces of evidence is our text, where it says um, the child is born and the son is given. Why do they use language like that? We don't speak of sons being given. We speak of sons being born. But no, 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 this text is, this one is a son given. By whom? For heaven's sakes. But this morning, ladies and gentlemen, 
I want to offer you just one line of argument, one line of proof, one piece of evidence. I want you to consider one thing that I am suggesting is proof of his deity. Do you hear me? I want to offer you one line of argument, which I am saying is a proof that Jesus Christ is the mighty God. Here it is. Christmas. (laughs) Christmas is a proof of his deity. Why? Well, ladies and gentlemen, the the unbelieving world, the non-Christian world, loves to talk about cause and effect. For every effect, there must be a cause. Well, tell me, what caused all this that we call Christmas? What causes all of that madness out there? What is it that has, that has set this in motion to the point that you and I are consumed for weeks, yea, months? What is it that did that? Oh, well, Dr. Young, really now, don't be naive. I mean, I can explain it. It's, it's, um, it's just a, it's just a, just a nice fairy tale. I mean, it, it's somewhat of a, a fable, piece of folklore, you know, that just got started and got kind of like Cinderella. Really? Well, tell me this. Um, how many of you? How many? How many? Cinderella carols do you know? How many Cinderella carols do you sing? Did you buy your Cinderella tree? Did you send out your Cinderella cards? When's the last time someone hailed you and greeted you with Merry, Merry Cinderellamus? How many of you celebrate the birth of Snow White? Ladies and gentlemen, I I know as well as you all of the excesses and the distortions and abuses at Christmas time. My family is as guilty as yours. The money that's spent and the the drinking that's done and the depression and the reckless spending and and the stress. And you call that a proof of of his deity? Yes, I do. Why? Because, ladies and gentlemen, Something stupendous had to set this whole thing off. Something stupendous had to happen to get all of this rolling. There had to be some kind of stupendous cause to end up with this. Tell me. What other birth that you know of is celebrated like this one? I say, ladies and gentlemen, that Satan has done every, his dead level best to distract you. He's gone to all extremes to get you to think of season's greetings and the winter holiday, even Kwanzaa or Hanukkah. 
All of them. All of them designed to somehow give you an, a distraction. But all men know. They all know that what started all this was a birth. A birth that took place in Bethlehem. What they don't know is who it was that was that was born in that stable. Isaiah tells us he's the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace. Guys, everything that we dislike about Christmas, it comes because we, be, we abused things. I get that. But this spirit of giving, this, this generosity and sharing and happiness, and you hear on the radio, it's sung all over, that my most favorite time of the year is Christmas time. Where did it come from? It came from a a city that's known as the city of bread, Bethlehem. There was a small barn out back this, this inn. And there was a feeding trough in that barn. And laying inside that feeding trough was a child, a child who is the mighty God. What I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, is the thing that set this all in motion All of this thing that we call Christmas, the thing that started that and has come and grown into this was the arrival of the mighty God, whose name is Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Is he your savior? Is your sin forgiven? Are you going to heaven? Are you a Christian? You are. If Jesus Christ to you is the wonderful counselor, and mighty God. Our Father, um, we do worship the thrice holy God this morning. We understand that the one that Isaiah saw is the one that we have come to know as the, as the King of Kings and the, the Lord of Lords. The only, the only the only Savior for sinners. 
is this Jesus that we've just talked about. Would you, um, would you work your work of grace in the, in the lives of some who have not yet seen him in all of his beauty? Might they see him now? Because yes, Lord, we believe that Jesus of Nazareth, born to the Virgin Mary, that he was the mighty God, our Savior, the one who is our wonderful counselor, and the one whose shed blood means forgiven sin to us. We embrace him gladly and long for the opportunity to tell others of their need to embrace him as well. Father, if you've led people here this morning who have not yet met the Savior, would you cause them to see that ultimately their choices are two? Either he is a man or he is, as the scripture says, God in flesh. Do that, Father, for Jesus' sake.